Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. In an era of online retail where everything is just a few clicks away, buying a car should be no different. That's why at Carvana, you can buy a car 100% online. We made it easy to browse, view, and buy from over 10,000 cars. You can even trade in your old car, all while binge-watching your favorite TV show. Afterwards, we'll deliver your car to you. Or you can pick it up from one of our car vending machines. Either way, your car comes with a seven-day return policy. So grab a seat, relax in your comfy pants, and enjoy the new way to buy a car at Carvana. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary. It's not my responsibility, so <laughs> so it doesn't really bother me whether the, you know whether people liked it or not. Hello, everyone. Welcome back for a brand new episode of Ladies Night. Look who I have with me here today. It's Ivan Strahovski. Hello, hello, and huge congratulations on Stateless. I already said it before to you off camera, but oh my god, you're you're incredible in this. Thank you. It's a it's a really amazing project to have been a part of. I really cannot stress that enough. But before we get there, we got to go back to what got you into the business to begin with. Do you remember the the movie, the show, the performance, anything at all that made you say to yourself, I've got to be an actor? Um, I think it was just always I was just such a kind of like a, a, a nerdy goofball kid by nature who was a bit of a show off and just kind of liked a, a bit of a bit of the spotlight actually um unashamedly uh so I I just always from a young age would grab my my dad's big um JVC camera the old school ones that used to be huge you know with, with the VHS tapes and um and I would just make stuff at home as a kid with my friends after school and I got into acting classes quite early on in my childhood and it just sort of continued from there. I was always involved in some kind of play or musical or multiple ones throughout my, my schooling years and, and it just kind of has really never never stopped. What kind of stuff were you making as a kid and do you find that now you gravitate towards similar roles in, in you know, the real world? <laughs> Um, no, actually, as a kid, it was, <laughs> it was all about kind of, you know, um, spoofing commercials and things, you know, on Australian television that, uh, you know, I grew up watching. And so a, a girlfriend and I would, um, would just spoof anything and everything we could get our hands on. We were big. Um, there, there was an Australian show, a couple of Australian shows growing up, these sketch comedy shows that would spoof a lot of stuff called um, Full Frontal and, and Fast Forward and I think Full Frontal at the time when I was growing up was was kind of a big thing and um, we would just make fun of everything and um, and and just kind of, I don't know, and, and then do things like, you know, make our own documentaries and things like that. I mean, they're ridiculous and... <laughs> And silly, but it was uh, it was a fantastic outlet for a kid. You know, you give them a camera and um, you let them explore their imagination. Um, yeah, I hope you still have some of that stuff. 
Oh, I, oh, I have some of that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One day you must share. So you're a kid who loves making this stuff on your own, but how was it, I guess, convincing your family that, because, you know, breaking into Hollywood and that kind of stuff is, is a dream and it's very difficult to get in there and actually make a career out of it. So how was it convincing, you know, your family, your friends, your loved ones that, you know, this is the right path for me to pursue? Yeah, I mean, that was that was um, a little challenging at the beginning. I mean, I, my my parents weren't um, too thrilled with the idea of me pursuing an acting career to begin with. I mean, obviously, they, they came around very quickly and they're 100% supportive as they have been for a very, very long time now. But I think they had initially kind of thought that I might, you know, get a steady job, a steady kind of job and go into I don't know, medicine or law or, or something, you know, that offered a steady lifestyle. And, um, and I just, I don't know, I, I think I'm just stubborn and, um, and persistent. And I just, I just wasn't having it any other way, really. And I just pursued it. And um, it, it's just kind of all I've really known what to do. So, yeah, here we are. Take out stubborn and swap in the word determined. And that's probably more appropriate. (laughs) Sure. They took some convincing there. But what about in your own head? Was there a moment or maybe a specific gig that you booked that finally made you think, you know, I'm not just trying. I'm here and I'm doing it now. Um, I, I sort of, well, when I got here, I definitely had that moment. Getting here was... A little trickier. I um, I grew up in Australia, thinking that I would want to come to the states eventually to try my hand in it. Never really thinking that you know I would get as far as I've I've come today, and I've been super lucky. Um, but you know, at the time growing up, and this is like um, I don't know. This is probably going to be like a thing that a lot of people connect with. But I had a terrible acne problem. And I used to always think I can't go to the States with this acne problem because I'll never get a job. Having worked in Australia and having been rejected from a couple of jobs because of my skin problem at the time. And so obviously it's a it's it's a it's like a, you know, obviously a psychological thing to work through. And I remember that I was a group of people, a group of friends of mine had convinced me to come with them. And it was really only because of that, and then I uh, and I told my agent that I was wanting to come here, that I was encouraged, and had a support system, and thought, okay, I'll give this a go, and um, and I did. So, yeah, that's that's crazy. It I, it makes me mad that you kind of ran into that problem because that's a very difficult thing for a lot of kids to experience out there, even if it's just yeah. you know amongst friends. So the fact that you were actually like rejected from something for it just kind of makes me fume. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely, uh, it's, you know, it's, it goes into all that body image conversation that mm-hmm. we have and what people deal with and how psychologically scarring it is and, and how you work through them. You know, and ironically for, for me, my face is my, is my job. It's my tool. It's my, it's what I use predominantly in my craft. And so, yeah, it's just, it's been an interesting journey and not something that I really ever talk about but I think it is important to talk about it because I'm I know so many people so many kids grapple with this they go to school they don't 
they don't know how to deal with it. They get teased for it. I mean, it's all kinds of things. You lose a job for it. I mean, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, I mean, we'll, we'll come back to this, but I always think it's, uh, it's very uh, helpful to talk about bumps in the road and overcoming it. Cause you never know who out there needs to hear that story now to overcome their own. Exactly. Um, one random thing I wanted to ask you about, cause this it kind of fascinates me is how many people in the industry have to change their names when they're first getting started or in your case, change yeah. the spelling. And was that a thing that you really had to discuss and work through in your own mind or was it kind of just no big deal? No, it wasn't no big deal. And it's funny you mention it because I did think about this the other day on my own. I, I thought, gosh, it, you know, if it was, if it was now, I probably wouldn't have done it. Um, it was, it was part of I guess the culture back then, this like old kind of Hollywood thinking where, um, you know, to, to anglicize your name a bit more and, or make it less complicated or less of a mm-hmm. mouthful. And, and, and yes, of course it is, it is a mouthful. I spell it differently to what it is actually, you know, how it's actually spelled. But I kept thinking if everyone can get past Schwarzenegger and learn how to say that, then surely they can learn how to say my name as well. Um, which is why I never, I, it just always rubbed me the wrong way to change it to something completely different, which mm-hmm. was, which was suggested. Um, so I kind of went for this phonetic spelling version. Um, yeah, it's it, it it's definitely it was a it was a cultural thing back then. That's something that I don't think that I would do now if I were to start now and and, and move forward. Yeah, I do 100% understand the sensitivity with that. Looking back on your experience making Chuck, is there anything that makes you think like, wow, I'm so thankful that I had that first big gig on that set with those people? Oh, yeah. And it was five years of my life. And um, it was it was basically nine months out of every year for those five years. And I learned so much. I mean, I, I learned so much about the industry here, being on that show, um, I learned about American comedy. I learned about what sets are like. I learned, um, I mean, everything. I learned how, how the industry really works. It wasn't as if I had worked extensively in Australia. I mean, I'd had, I'd started my career then and been there for three years and, and worked on a couple of TV shows. This did feel like a grander scale for me, especially because of the nature of the show, the stunts, the green screens, different locations, um, and also Chuck was such a show that was always on, on the edge of whether it was going to be canceled or not canceled or not. We had such an astounding fan base that kept us on for so long and, and we were successful because of that. And, um, yeah, so it's, it was, it was a big, big, big journey. I'm so grateful to have had that experience. I don't know if you ever experienced this, but I know when you're you're first starting out and you're newer to something, it can be scary to ask a question that maybe in your mind feels silly. So were there any seemingly silly questions about the way things work on a set that you wish you had the nerve to ask earlier on? Oh, no, I don't remember feeling that way because I honestly kind of felt like I don't have time to even feel my own things right now. It's just sort of like, go, go, go. <laughs> so you're, it's almost like being in survival mode. Um, and one thing I was going to say earlier was that we were also not, I mean, we were also quite a little bit under budget with, with Chuck. So everything was always, you know, not enough time, not enough money. And, and so we, we worked immensely hard. I mean, the crew worked 
tirelessly for hours. I mean, sometimes I feel like we were doing 90-hour weeks from Monday to early Saturday morning and then back at it at 5 a.m. on Monday again. So um, it, it, was, it was intense um, and, and I, you just didn't really have time. In the beginning, I didn't have time to sort of really digest a lot. It was just kind of go, go, go and, you know, get thrown in the deep end and we're making this show. If you had the opportunity to learn about any specific set of a film or television crew, their job and what what it entails, what would you choose and why? Of anybody to do with the entire production? Any, anybody at all? <laughs> I mean, I have a great interest in what what the producers and the directors do. I've been having. I mean, that's an, that's an interest of mine for sure um, because I would like to move into that world I, I I came from that in a way from Australia in the theatre world so once I had graduated from theatre school which is three years a, a friend of mine and I started a theatre company there and we it, it was the two of us and we we ran it basically we we um she brought in scripts uh, that were from her home country from Finland uh translated adapted them to Australian audiences produced them cast them we made the sets uh, we, we did everything. And so, uh, I mean, it was, it was, it was that sort of experience that we were taught that in drama school, we were taught that, um, employment was hard in the acting world and, and you had to sort of pave your own way and that's what we were doing. So I'm, I'm really interested in coming back to that and, and, and developing and creating, um, Yeah. I love the sound of that. Uh, it's just like one of the many things that fills me with joy when I see someone who's accomplished so much wanting to, you know, tell stories their way and put even more of their voice into a project. So I look forward to seeing what you do in that department. <laughs> I did want to ask you a little bit about Dexter, too. Having gone from Chuck, a show that you were a part of the entire time, to a show like Dexter where you joined later in the game and it was so insanely popular. What was that like? Was it very easy to kind of just like blend into that group and kind of get going with the flow that they had already created for six seasons? Yeah. I mean, I was hyper aware that I was the newbie. If it did feel like the first day of school, um, except I was joining seventh grade, <laughs> seventh grade. Um, but you know, that was, you know, you just never know what to expect. But but ultimately, um, Michael and everybody else were incredibly welcoming, and um, and I and I and I had a blast. You know, I had a blast working with that uh, strange character of Hannah McKay, and um, and predominantly working with Michael. And I was just so impressed with him um, and and Jen and everybody else and what they brought to it. Um, and it was lovely. It was lovely to to be welcomed uh, into into a show like that, and um, and also as a springboard away from the world of Chuck and everything that I had been known for up until that point. It was mm-hmm. it was lovely to uh, be given be entrusted with this role, you know, um, from from the creators and people who hadn't necessarily seen me in something like that. Um, and I'm not sure how much of a leap of faith that might have been for them, but it was it's appreciated on my end because that's all I've ever wanted to do is um, is do different things and not not do the same thing over and over again. 
It's crazy to think of how many different, like how many different things you've done since that too. So it seemed to get the ball rolling in a very good way there. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the struggle for everybody too, isn't it? In in the acting world is you, you do one thing, you become kind of a little bit known for it. And then, uh, and then suddenly everything that comes your way is a version of that. And so many of us, I think, for so many different reasons are trying to break away from that and explore the, the scope of the rest of what we have to offer, whether it's um, your race or your size or your the colour of your skin or, um, I mean, anything, anything. I feel like there are so many different versions of people being kind of placed in a, in a box and then fighting to get out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. Still, still a little too much of that, but it's exciting to see people chip away at it. Before we leave Dexter, I did want to ask you a little bit about the ending of the show. And specifically, I mean, you you know the talk that's been about that ending. You know, it's divisive. Some fans like it. Some fans don't like it. And when they don't like it, they really don't like it. But how is it from your perspective as an actor in the show who isn't responsible for the writing? How, how do you kind of deal with that intense fan base and you know kind of I don't know embrace how you feel about the ending but also respect the other side of it that's been invested since day one I appreciate both sides I got a little bit of an insight into why they did what they did uh I mean from memory gosh it was a long time ago but it was it was just sort of about having having Dexter have nobody and that that was that was kind of the ultimate um jail in a way for him to to not have anybody left um and then you know and then I get I get the fans as well I get that perhaps it wasn't sort of the most dramatic ending that they had longed for um maybe they wanted to see more blood and gore um you know but I think you've nailed it it's um it's not my responsibility so (laughs) so it doesn't really bother me whether you know whether people liked it or not it's um it's just something that that I was a part of and um yeah yeah I mean like on the one hand I know people can get too out of hand sometimes with stuff like that but I don't know I, I tried to hold tight to the fact that it's all coming from a place of passion and dedication exactly I think you know yeah yeah I mean and and you can't please everybody either is very very true i know that all too well going into handmaid's tale uh again another show that you are absolutely phenomenal in uh what is it like having to live in the headspace of a character that is very difficult to have any sympathy for but you know i get like while you're playing her you gotta believe in her decisions and her motivations i just i can't imagine this is probably why i'm not an actor i can't imagine locking myself into that headspace for an extended period of time yeah it's it is strange i (laughs) i do sit in this weird space of really understanding her because I have to and justifying every single one of her moves and getting it um, and then kind of, you know, and then performing it and then stepping outside of that and going, oh, this is not the, not, not the kind of person that I want to align myself with. And ironically, I'm probably the most aligned with her um, because I play her. <laughs> so I'm, I'm in her headspace. So, yeah, that, that is strange. I mean, look, as an actor, it's, it's delicious I think that's sort of the only way to put it to be able to sink your teeth into um into the challenge of that to 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 really dig deep and um and try to figure out how 
um, a person operates, even though you feel like you have no, you know, relation or empathy or sympathy for that person and you, you can't relate. So, um, so that, that's really something that, that I've relished in, um, you know, with playing Serena. So I find that current events tend to amplify my sensitivity with certain topics that I see being explored in film and television, given what's going on in the world. And I guess more specifically our country right now, do you think any of that might follow you back to a story like Handmaid's Tale? And I don't know, like make you rethink anything that you're approaching while you're on set? Um, yeah, I mean, look, it makes me definitely think about what we're doing, what we're portraying. Um, but I think with any character, and it's something I talk about, you know, with Stateless as well, because it, it also is, is very current, um, or, you know, what we're talking about. And in Handmaid's Tale as well, it's, it's kind of twofold. There's the, there's the bigger picture of what the show is portraying, the themes, the issues that we're discussing and the relevance of them that are so powerfully parallel to, mm-hmm. to our own lives, what we're living. But then in, just in terms of the character, that's such, it's, it's much more of an inward experience as opposed to the objective kind of way that we, we then look at and digest a show. Um, c- creating a character for me is, um, is just so internal and much more, uh, about the the emotion and the soul of a character, and and intuitively kind of following um, following down that path uh, versus kind of going from the outside in. Hmm. That that definitely uh, makes sense, and I am not capable of doing that, and will never try for that reason. <laughs> going into uh, going into stateless here. Did you know Kate Blanchett personally before you got that phone call or did that call kind of come out of the blue for you? It came completely out of the blue. I didn't know I didn't know that she knew of my existence um which was exciting um because I'm obviously a fan of Kate's and um uh and that then it was amazing. She 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 called um and told me about the project and told me about the role and then I got to read the scripts obviously and instantly I was really moved by the scripts I was really taken with Sophie and unique sort of storyline um that she has and what she deals with and um and then obviously Kate and everybody else you know Tony as Elise McCready who was behind producing it and, and bringing it to life and I just this I mean it was a no-brainer can you tell me a little bit about working with Emma and Jocelyn because I know with TV it's pretty standard to have different directors on uh, different episodes but in this case you had I believe it was Emma who did one two and three and then Jocelyn steps in for four five and six in that three to four transition can you feel the change at all and is there any readjusting that needs to be done on your part I mean, yeah, there's definitely a change. There's always a change and you definitely feel it. It is, is I mean, it's a completely different person coming in that you're working with. So, yeah, I mean, there, there's an adjustment there for sure. Um, I think, but by then as actors, um, you're, comp- you're really in the swing of it. You've, you've spent three episodes living and breathing these characters and, and the, the train is running. Um, so really a lot of the setup work for me happens at the start of a show, it's where I sit with it a lot and 
discuss different ideas, different avenues all over it in my brain of, of, you know, how many different ways can we play this scene? How can we make this interesting? And, um, and then of course, spend time with, with Emma, who was our setup director, um, really just trying to pitch this in, in the best way, in the best way possible. So, I know we were talking about kind of the divide between acting and writing, and there's only so much that's in your hands. But I was wondering at the very beginning, they pitched this show to you about the refugee crisis. And a lot of the story is framed through the eyes and the experience of a white woman. So is that anything that you discussed with the producers and directors at all? Was any of it a concern for you? How'd you go about it? Well, look, I think there's a lot of things to discuss about that. Um, I think it's definitely a a big point that it is a white Australian woman that is, that is the Trojan horse into this story. I think there's something to be said for the fact that a lot of people need that Trojan horse to be the white Australian woman for, for the rest of the stories to be relatable. Um, Certainly in real life, when there was a white Australian woman in a detention center in Australia, it brought a huge spotlight to those, um, to, to, to what was going on in the detention centres there, which were at the time onshore. Now we have offshore detention centres in Australia. So there's definitely something to be said about that. Um, it was something I noticed straight away. Um, and and it's definitely, obviously, and this is something that people have talked about, It's there's, there's three white main characters and then a non-white main character and we're talking about statelessness and you know I and and there's that and so that needs to be said as well Mm -hmm. I think what is I think one of the positives that come out of a story like this is that we're showing the experience of a detention center and how it um how it fails people essentially through different angles you've got the experience of a guard um who is working there who is morally challenged by what he's witnessing and having to do you've got the experience of the bureaucrat and the government official coming in who's who's helping run it who has to be the face of it um and how that challenges her integrity and then you've got sophie the trojan horse coming in and then you've got Amir, so incredibly played by Faisal, who represents the now 80 million um, displaced and stateless people in the world, um, which is, I mean, for me, that's the that's that's um, that's the, the the heart of the series, and that's the thing that I think is the most important, and it's the and it's the the thing that was the most profound for me on set is having all of our background artists be not actors, but people who had in their lifetime been displaced, stateless, gone through a detention centre. That to me was the the biggest moment of, wow, I mean, this is now sort of a very real experience. Um, to hear firsthand of people having their families killed, people not knowing whether their families, their husbands, their kids were alive or dead for five to six years while they're trying to escape a country because it's a life and death situation because they will be killed and coming and and going on this journey and ending up in a detention center where, you know, where is our humanity at this point? Um, 
on the other end for them. And just really full on, you know, to, to, and, and important for me to have had that experience and, and witness, you know, one of our, one of the gentlemen that we worked with had been in the detention centre up the road from us and had ex- had experienced that for however many months he was in there. Um, the, the man that you see sitting on a chair in the compound that says nothing throughout the show, he sits there in his suit with his suitcase by mm. his side. That, that was... Um, Burhan plays that man and, and, you know, and speaking to him, just so many stories. And he represents a real person who did that because they couldn't go anywhere. They're stateless. They're not able to start a life anywhere. Um, and so to me, that was important. And, and, and I kept asking that, why, why come here? Why relive this? And why, I mean, you've been through so much, you know, why come here and and be part of this? And a lot of people said, because this is the story we want to tell. This is the story that needs to be heard and we want to tell this story. And that to me was the most kind of powerful thing out of everything. For anyone else out there like me where the show made a huge, huge impression, I can't stop thinking about it. I want to do something about it. Having worked on it, what have you found in order to, help make this situation better that maybe you can give a resource out there to someone else who's looking to help? I think, I mean, education is the key, you know, I mean, it's shows like this where we can connect back to our humanity and understand what this is like at at a human level. We're all humans. We all, we all have people around us. We all, you know, most of us love someone or have some kind of connection to a sister, a brother, a parent or whatever. And, and, and it's that part of, this issue that I think we need to connect back to and remind ourselves of our humanity um, and our ultimately our relatability to everyone in this world and understand that, you know, countries like Australia were founded, you know, with people who were immigrants and refugees um, creating their lives there. I mean, I'm, I'm a product of, um, I'm I'm a product of immigrant parents. I'm the, I'm first generation Australian. I'm the only Australian in my family. Um, my parents came to Australia, and I'm you know half my friends have the same story. Um, so it's I think it's just realizing that how how close we really are to this issue. Um, ask ourselves, you know, what would it be like if we were in in that in a scenario where it was worst case scenario um, and staying educated about, you know, the issues across the world and where, where this is happening. I mean, this is happening everywhere. I mean, 80 million is a, is a massive number and it's easy to feel really hopeless. And I certainly do um, feel hopeless, but there is a way to continue the conversation start a conversation stateless does that it's it, i mean i've seen that among my friends and, and people it definitely starts that conversation and um and have our eyes and hearts open i know we're only one teeny tiny piece of the puzzle here but since watching the whole series i'm quarantining with my family right now since watching the entire thing with them no one's been able to stop talking about it so i mean you guys definitely ticked that box in that respect 
I did want to throw up kind of like the spoiler warning very quickly to ask you one spoiler question about the show. And I know there has to be so many different answers to this question, just given how many like extremely emotional moments Sophie goes through. But is there any particular scene that made you kind of, I don't know, circle that shooting day in red on the calendar and say on that day, I'm going to have my work cut out for me? Oh, yeah, I think there were a few, um, <laughs> a few of those days. You know, one that comes to mind, and not like I thought, oh, this will be really, this will be challenging, but also incredibly uh, kind of amazing at the same time, is the scene with later, later down the line with the psychologist, because that was my acting teacher from drama school. It was incredible to to go back home and after all these years uh, get to get to work with um, one of the people who taught me years ago. Um, and so it was just such an amazing experience to be able to do that and work with work with Terry, um, you know, and, you know, having having been a student um, and and the scene, of course, was so was so um kind of layered there was a lot a lot going on there there was um there was the reality of what was actually happening in the room between Sophie and the doctor uh and then all the alternate realities that Sophie was experiencing in her brain um and so that that scene I I knew that was going to be uh a a lot for the day because you know we had had to play all those different levels and you know go into it um from all different kinds of angles. And so, yeah, and it, but, but also how exciting. I mean, that was really, I mean, I, I thought, oh, this will be, be tough, but amazing, amazing, amazing. And that's the kind of stuff that really um, make, gets me going, really, when I get the opportunity to have play characters that, um, that allow for those kinds of moments. Absolutely. As we wind down here, I did want to kind of go back and ask you a question just about, I don't know, I guess kind of the divide or maybe lack thereof now between film and television. Because when I look at everything that you've accomplished, you have very clearly had the opportunity to show off your talent and your great range when it comes to television. Then when I look at your filmography and keep in mind, I have not seen every film you've been in. Obviously I'm exposed to like the big Hollywood releases. I feel like you're not getting roles that are deserving of your skill set. Is that how you feel? And do you think you're getting boxed in, in that respect? And is there any film on your filmography that you wish had the Hollywood size audience that people might not be aware of? Um, I, no, I don't really feel, I don't feel like I'm getting boxed in. Again, it's like going back to that journey thing. Um, you know, you, there, there's many ways in which people earn their stripes in this industry, um, in any industry, you know, and my path has been predominantly through television and that's fine by me. I mean, I, I've, I've, I've gotten to play the most extraordinary roles. I mean, Serena Joy is probably going to be one of the most memorable things when I look back and hopefully if I live to be 80 or more I can you know Serena Joy will stand out you know as will someone like Sophie Viner in Stateless you know it's so meaty I think the beauty of television is that we get to flesh out these roles over the course of 
a, a longer period of time than you do in a, in a film. And I, I am a sucker for being able to do that. Um, it's really, really fun. It's really great to be able to have build that and, 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 and craft it. So hopefully the audience goes on that journey with you. Um, yes, film is that as well. Um, theatre is that too in a very different capacity. You know, it's it's one take every night, um, which is also incredibly thr thrilling in its own right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think hopefully I continue down down this path, whether it's film or television. I think, I think the paths are kind of getting so muddy now as to distinguishing which is which because of, because of the platforms that are opening up. Um, so it's not, it doesn't feel like such a huge divide for me, you know, whether it's film here and TV here, it kind of feels like things are crossing over a lot because of the platforms. Um, and, and, and in a shameless plug, there is going to be a movie coming out next year, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, called the tomorrow war that I'm really excited about that. I got to work with some fantastic people on and Chris Pratt was obviously one of those people and we had a blast and, um, it's, it's, it's going to be, hopefully people will, will like it because I certainly enjoyed working on it. Did you get to work with Betty Gilpin at all? I love Betty Gilpin. Amazing. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I want to see you two kick ass together in that movie so badly. Oh, she's great. I, yeah, I've, I've met her on the movie and um, we've since become friends. So, yeah, she's awesome. She's awesome. Are you able to tell us anything about your character in that one? No, no. I, don't, I wouldn't dare. I, I wouldn't oh. dare. I'm too afraid of, um, of <laughs> you know, yeah. That that is the appropriate response. <laughs> Everyone I know is just dying for that movie. I love the concept. That ensemble is incredible, but you already know that. Uh, I have to let you go now. But thank you so much for talking through everything with me, and especially for highlighting Stateless. Because if anyone out there has not seen Stateless, all six episodes are available to watch on Netflix right now, and you do not want to miss it. Thank you again so much, Yvonne, and huge congratulations on Stateless and everything you've accomplished over the years. Thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you. It's that little chico pitbull, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary.